Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about Harvey Weinstein, seven signs that you're way too busy, and we're going to talk a little bit about character. This is The Common Good. everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, and you can find us all over the world, almost too many places. I mean, it's it's, it's If you ask me. Our, our TikTok is really blown up right now. <laughs> it's just videos of Brian dancing. TikTok, and, uh, nothing makes me feel older. Well, there's you, a lot of things that make if, me feel old. That's one of them. If you've seen his dancing, though, you would understand why that is just That's blowing funny. up. It's amazing it took this long to go like that. but <laughs> Completely agree. <laughs> uh, but you can find us on Facebook, for real. Uh, the Common Good Radio Show, also on 1160hope.com slash the common good, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, and wherever it is you get podcasts. If you wouldn't mind, a little subscribe rate review does really help us out a whole lot. And if you're feeling extra generous on this Wednesday, is today Wednesday? I think it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. Hope day. If you're, oh boy. <laughs> See, I knew it. I knew that was a risk. A risk even you saying the word. You know you can't name a day around me. That's true. <laughs> that is That will be on your epitaph. Yes. Do not say a day around him. I think the only day you can get, for, get away with is Tuesday. And I'm like, man, Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. No real opinion. <laughs> oh, we should change that. You, you're just giving me a mission in life. Uh, what was I saying? It's Wednesday. Yeah, it's Wednesday. <laughs> if, you want, if you want to share the podcast, that helps out too. Um, but just today, this is all pretty current right yeah. now. So Harvey Weinstein gets 23 year prison sentence in his New York trial. What is going on here, sir? Yeah. I mean, Harvey Weinstein has been in the news and kind of the face, uh, of the me too movement in a negative way. Right. Uh, and, uh, you remember the, the, uh, journalist Ronan Farrow wrote a lot of stuff and it, it kind of put Harvey Weinstein in the crosshairs, but I think a lot of people thought, that Harvey Weinstein would maybe get off or at the very least get a lighter sentence because very technically uh, he's never been convicted of anything before. Right. Uh, but what was really coming out, and now Weinstein has been convicted, he still is claiming innocence. Uh, but what has really come out is like this has just been decades of, yeah. of uh, serial abuse, power, uh, criminal sexual acts. Uh, in which he you really used his uh, his powerful position as uh, you know a producer who could really make or break people's careers, uh, and he was sentenced to twenty three years in prison. And I was listening to something about this, and the person that I was listening to was really surprised by this. I would say in a good way, this person hmm. was, because they said that they expected him to get a much smaller sentence. Hmm. Uh, that apparently the judge in the sentencing said it's quite clear you're not a first time. Uh, abuser, hmm. even though this is the first time you've been convicted. And so 23 years, uh, this doesn't even then cover, like you said, this is New York State. This doesn't cover all the stuff in Hollywood. Right. Uh, Harvey Weinstein's going to spend the rest of his life in prison and not in a nice prison. He's going to be in Rikers Island. He's already in Rikers Island uh-huh. in New York. Uh, and I would think somebody of his stature who has been uh, convicted of what he's been convicted of uh, it's going to be a hard stay in Rikers Island. Do you know that more than 80 women came forward to accuse him? I didn't know it was that many, but I knew it was a lot. Eight, zero. It's crazy. It clearly was uh, more than an occasional act. This was his lifestyle. He used his power and his ability to make careers, and he's just a psychopath, a sociopath. And uh, so, you know, uh, I got to be honest. When I read, when it came across my Twitter, Harvey Weinstein is go- has been convicted of 23 years, I found myself... Uh, going good, good. That feels appropriate. It feels appropriate. I think. 
Uh, because I don't know that he could got could have gotten much more. It says, uh, and I suppose he could have. I'm not that caught up on it, but somebody who's his age, 23 years, it feels okay. And obviously, this has nothing to do with me. But when I saw it, it felt like okay, he's going away for a long time. As opposed to if we'd opened up Twitter today and they were like, Harvey Weinstein got three years probation. You know, you'd be like, okay, yeah, yet another guy with power. But now when you start thinking Weinstein in prison. Bill Cosby in prison, all the Jeffrey Epstein stuff where he went to prison. Uh, There does seem to be this new movement in our culture that I would applaud that is holding powerful people, in this case, powerful men. Uh, It's not it's basically saying your power uh, does not excuse your behavior, your criminal behavior, and you're going to be held uh, accountable for what you do. So I think that's a good turn that our culture has taken. So what do you think we uh, can learn from this? I, I, and again, you know, he, it is worth saying that he's still denying all of this. He is, but he's been convicted. Land of appeal, yep. and blah, blah, yep. blah, blah, blah. But yeah, what, do, what is the what is the takeaway for just the average listener? Obviously, like he, like you said, was um, was absolutely instrumental in Me Too becoming right. what it is. Right. And, uh, to, to be able to see some of this reckoning, I wonder, like, do you think 23 years feels substantial to the people who were abused and exploited, exploited by him? I would think that's a really hard place to put myself in their shoes, right? But I would think uh, for the amount of time that has passed, I would think that just seeing him held um, accountable and being punished again, I don't know this, thankfully never having put put in a spot like this. But I would think that uh, knowing that he's being held accountable after all these years, there has to be a measure of comfort in that. Yeah. It doesn't take away the abuse and all the uh, ramifications in these uh, women's lives of that abuse. Right. Uh, but what it does is I would guess that after all this time, some of them at least probably thought this day would never come. Yeah. That, OK, a powerful guy like this is going to be able to get away with whatever he wants to get away with. Uh, and it is interesting, right? Like you've got. Harvey Weinstein, a powerful Hollywood executive. You've got Jeffrey Epstein, uh, a really powerfully wealthy man. You've got Bill Cosby, a powerful man in the entertainment world, uh, being held to task. And hopefully this is what continues to happen, Hmm. that those people who are using their power to abuse, we've seen it in the church too. And the Me Too movement has made its way through. And I don't know, I think that that we need to be, uh, we need to applaud that. You know, we need to say, you asked me what's the takeaway for us as a culture. I think one of the takeaways is your power and your position uh, will hopefully, uh, in decreasing, I never want to say it never gets you off the hook for things, but hopefully in decreasing amounts will be used to get people like him off the hook. And so I don't know, it ends up being a good thing to see somebody like him. Um, Somebody like him being held accountable. Here's some of the comments that we got on the uh, Facebook page. Dave said, hopefully he will live it out complete for the sake of justice. And 23 years is a long time in many cases, but the damages uh, that he caused can never be repaid with jail time alone, which is true. Mm -hmm. Uh, Debbie said, I hope he had to pay out fines at least equal to his net worth to the victims. That would probably hurt him more. Uh, Joe said, anything over 15 years is a life sentence for him. However, the New York parole laws can be funny things. I did wonder about that. I wonder what the parole laws, yep, yep. what those loophole. I mean, again, what you're saying uh, I think is true, but he is still, in many respects, a powerful man Correct. with powerful connections. And we'll I have the best attorney. That's what I'm yep. saying. There's still a good deal of skepticism for me, thinking 
man, is he actually going to live out 23 years? And then, you know, we don't have any time left, but where where does our, like, hope for this man's redemption sit as pastors, as people that are just appalled and heartbroken by these kinds of actions? Where Where does hope for this man's salvation sit, like, in your heart? Yeah, you, you want to believe that everybody is redeemable. This is one of those cases— You want to believe or you do believe? I do believe. Let me—, let me um, here, I'm just going to lay our cards on the table and be honest. These are the types of cases where uh, I once confessed to our congregation that there, every now and then you hear redemption stories yeah. that make you kind of mad. Yeah. And you have to work through that. Was I that why you were teaching through Jonah? <laughs> uh, it's exactly when I did it, when the Jonah <laughs> right. message. Uh, and this would be one of those. Yeah. But, yeah, I believe it. Your church doing cool work in prisons, uh-huh. the New Thing Network. Uh, I think that, in fact, prison is a great place for people to meet Jesus because you're at rock bottom. It remains to be seen. And the other last thing I'd point out about Weinstein is, yeah, the New York parole laws and this and that, he's still facing a slew of charges in California. That's true. And so I think there's still more to come for him. Well, we'd love to know what you think. The article is posted over on the Facebook page. Obviously, there's all sorts of difficult aspects to this story, very painful aspects, very triggering aspects. Um, but we, I felt at the very least it was worth talking about the start of the show up just because it was like such such big news and uh man we'd love to know how our uh, common good audience is interacting yep. with this news coming up next there's a pastor that says that ministry leaders should have character not just gifts that's what's coming up next here on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. There you'll see the little green logo. It looks like a stamp, maybe, or something. What is that? Yeah, I think a stamp is a good way to describe it. What does a stamp have to do with The Common Good? I don't know that it's supposed to be a stamp, but I think it's a good way to describe it. Did we have any say in that? Zero. (laughs) We should have like a redesign contest. Okay. What uh, What would the prize be? I don't know. And Alexa? Could it be a... Oh, gosh. See, that's just mean. Yes. <laughs> Could it be a date with uh, John's alter ego, the voice he was doing oh, the yesterday, other day? Yeah. yeah. I'd be delighted. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be delighted. We're going to get zero entries on this contest. Or the wrong kinds of entries. We'll Either go way. To the, go to the stamp museum. Oh, gosh. No. You know what that weird. voice kind of is? What? It's kind of uh, Napoleon Dynamite's brother. <laughs> Kip. Kip, yes. I'm <laughs> just, just jealous that I've been talking to the hot babes. babes all day long. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what it is. What was his girlfriend's name? Oh, LaFonda. LaFonda. Oh. I, think, oh. I think she's from Detroit. Really? <laughs> Fun fact. What she a was weird... like the coolest character. She like really the nicest was. What a person. weird What a weird movie that oh, everybody man. needs oh, to see at so some point. Fantastic. I loved that he's movie. He's out to prove. He's got nothing to prove. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's so good. All right, so you can find us. How do we get there? Oh, the Facebook. The Facebook page, the Common Good yeah. Radio Show. You can uh, you can rate and review that page as well. That helps us out. Plus eleven sixty hope dot com slash the Common Good or wherever it is you get fine podcast. If you're a podcaster, we thank you so much for listening. And if you wouldn't mind a little uh, subscribe, rate, review there, or share it with a friend, or comment, or post it online. We're still kind of a new show, so any of that really does help us out. And uh, I I can see where this next conversation is probably going to go, but let me just read the headlines. It says, Pastor Jonathan Stockstill says ministry leaders should have character, not just gifts. So that's probably a premise that I think you and I can agree with. 
But uh, the specifics of this article are pretty interesting. What's going on here? Yeah, so Jonathan Stockstill is an internationally recognized worship artist who has recorded more than 10 albums and wrote over 100 songs by the age of 30. And so the other day he was speaking at the Deeper Worship Intensive, and he used his time to warn the many worship leaders present about the pitfalls of church fame. Hmm. So he's a pastor's kid who is now lead pastor of Bethany Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and he's led in ministry since he was 17. Uh, he says he knows by experience what it's like to be gifted, but not to have the character to support his giftings. Hmm. Uh, and so that's a big statement right there. He said, I had a gift, but I wasn't as big as my gift. I'd like to tell you that when people celebrate you, they're not celebrating you. They're strictly celebrating your gift. And you have to know that hmm. it's never you being celebrated. There are two things that you had nothing to do with, which were God given Stocksdale explained. He listed having giftings and callings as those two things. The Bible says giftings and callings of God are without repentance. Your calling is not deserved. God gave it to you. God equipped you naturally to do certain things well. If you have a gift to sing, you did not give yourself that gift. If you have the ability to play or you have the ability to speak, you didn't give yourself that. Every gift you have is simply from the creator, the maker. So there's no glory in it for you. When somebody gives you praise, they're praising your gifts and you had nothing to do with your gifts. It's the creator that gave you uh, gifts. Stockstill shared a story about a time when he was living on his own and stayed out too late, then overslept, ran to the altar minutes before he was scheduled to lead worship. God still moved mightily that day, he said. Um, and so he goes on. It's basically this difference between uh, being praised for what you do, whether it's preaching, leading worship, leading with kit, whatever else it might be. Uh, and I think he's saying, how do you how do you protect from allowing that to give you a big head to say it's all about me and become arrogant and not have the character to withstand that? Yeah. And we see many pastors fall over that. So he was talking about the story that you just referenced. He said, we had a great day of worship, but it wasn't because I was great on the inside. I didn't have character. I wasn't there on on time. I inconvenienced the whole worship team. I was selfish, thought only about myself. I had no character, but my gift was there. Unfortunately, in churches today, people with gifts get positions without having the character to support it. Becoming senior pastor of his church nine years ago has really given Stockstill a new perspective when it comes to the people he allows to serve in his ministry. It's one of the toughest ideas in the world to care about somebody's true person more than their gifts, because we as pastors have a tendency if a person can sing to let them sing if a person can play to let Mm -hmm. them play the minister wants leaders to understand that they need to really be focused on who you are to take your gifts away are you an example worth following rather than gifts stock still exhorted that greatness is determined by grounding growth gratefulness and grit i like those because they all begin with g grounding (laughs) growth gratefulness and grit we have to grow into the bigness of our gifts your greatness will be determined by your grounding Uh, when i'm looking at a person's character my question is are they grounded a tree is only as great as its roots Ooh, that's good a tree is only as great as its roots you will never have a tree that grows bigger greater than its roots you may have all these crazy gifts but you'll be nobody in five years because you won't have longevity because you're not grounded and so instead of focusing on your gifts focus on being grounded stocks will challenge people to reflect Reflect on their biblical and worship theology, their relationships, and who they are submitted to. I think this challenge is so timely. It really is. And so important, uh, but also so easily overlooked. Simon Sinek has been talking about some of this stuff for a long time, how we we almost always hire for competency, right? For mm. for talent and character, like he's saying, is much harder to assess, especially in an interview, right? Like, how do you really know 
if someone is grounded? Like if you're hiring for Four Corners Community Church, what are some of the things or some of the ways maybe that you assess those things? Uh, That's a great question because I'm not sure I do it well. But the answer is, um, you know, beyond the normal stuff of applications and calling references and this and that. It's just trying to spend a lot of time with these people before hiring and not going, oh, well, you built this huge thing. And um, but, yeah, it's hard, man, because a lot of us can put up masks in the hiring process and then Hmm. uh, go about. But I do think this idea of character versus competency uh, is really a hard one because like you said, especially in a church my size, like you find someone who sings and you're like, yes, get them up there. You find someone who's dynamic with kids or students, you're like, let's give it. And, and you got to be really careful. Like character is what's going to sustain. He says, Stockstill wanted everyone to know that the devil will be actively trying to distract, disqualify and discourage leaders to support this. He references second Timothy two, hmm. and uh, that, that it's often or always about character uh, that's uh, much more than competency. And I don't, I think you said it well. We do not do that well in our church culture. Well, I don't want to say that we don't do that. I think a lot of churches struggle with this. I don't want to make Broad a blanket statement. Yeah, I don't. Sure. I think a lot of churches are actually doing very well at this. But uh, this line to me, this this is like a sermon bit here. He says, your greatness will be determined by your gratefulness. Your gratefulness is all about your attitude right now. And your attitude will determine your altitude. Pessimists do not rule the world. Optimists do. I think that's an interesting one because... Uh, I, there obviously are pitfalls to being an endless optimist too, right? Like sometimes they can struggle to actually see the real complexities mm-hmm. or difficulties in an organization or in a season of life or a relationship. But that idea though of like greatness and gratefulness being one and the same or having a correlation between yeah. the two is something that I don't, yeah, that's a struggle. And I think the, uh, the challenge there to, what does what he say? If your gifts were taken from you, would you still be someone worth following? Mm. Like, would you be a leader worth looking up to? Would you yeah. be a pastor worth um, being trusted in? Like, those are really good challenges. And I think it's something that the West in particular yeah. is struggling with. I think for a lot of the rest of the world, they're maybe not nearly as uh, obsessed is too strong a word, yeah. but like kind of caught up in some of the celebrity them yeah. that, uh, that we seem to struggle with a big, a big deal. Here, I think the, the go-to line for me out of this article is, and you read it before is a tree is only as great as its roots. Yeah. You'll never have a tree that grows bigger, greater than its root system. Uh, so really often we're so concerned about the fruit and the tree and how impressive do I look right. and pastors, but not just pastors, all sorts of people. You don't worry about what's going on internally. It's just Jesus's words to the Pharisees. Yes. And right. uh, we don't worry about the roots and then it all falls over. It all collapses one day. Yeah. And we don't want that. Obviously, no, we do not. <laughs> we are definitely trying to avoid a total collapse. Well, coming up next, seven signs you're way too busy and how to break the cycle. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the interwebs. I'm not going to tell you where or how, because I think you know. You're out in there. Okay, I'll tell you. It's on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. Also, we're podcasted on any podcast platform you can think of. We are already there in a little uh, subscribe rate review. It does help us out a whole ton. And in stories that are convicting me personally, <laughs> here's the headline. Seven signs you're way too busy in how to break the cycle. I love the way it begins. It says, have you noticed busy has become the new fine? Mm. When someone asks you how, how you are, chances are your default answer is good. Busy, but 
Good. Have you said that, by the way? Absolutely. In the last 24 hours, probably? <laughs> probably, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that kind of convicting when like it the is. opening line of an article is like, oh, boy, they got my number. <laughs> We've all heard the research that shows us the effects of stress and busyness in our lives, but what if our harried pace is keeping us from the life we are created to live? We live in a culture that tells us we have to do more, to be more, and achieve more. We all want to live full lives, full of meaning and purpose, but it is our busyness that often robs us of living out our potential. Contrary to what many of us have been told, we can't handle it all, nor should we. So how do we know when we're reaching our limit? We aren't like our phones with flashing numbers to tell us we've reached our capacity, but there are signs our body gives us if we're paying attention, signs that may look different for each of us. For some, the warning signs may be emotional. For others, they might be physical, relational, or spiritual. But rest assured, if you are over capacity, you will soon find out the hard way. Mm. So, I mean, are you... I resonate with this so, you already, so much. Already you're like into it. <laughs> so much. Was it Kevin DeYoung? I could be giving him uh, credit for a book he didn't write, but I'm pretty sure it's him. Called Crazy Busy. Yeah. It's a short book because a book on busyness should be short. <laughs> It was a really short book that came out maybe two or three years ago. And I remember reading it and being like gut punched over and over again. Just really? like, yeah. Oh, yeah. His whole premise is like, it's exactly this. It's that we go bump to each other. We're like, how are you doing? And we're always like, there's a badge of honor to be like, I'm so busy. Yeah. Right. And uh, and that that's, there's a problem. And so this article gives you seven signs you're way too busy. And uh, my guess is some of us will be able to check most of these. Right. Uh, number one, an inability to control your emotions. Hmm. Do you constantly feel anxious, irritable, depressed, and overwhelmed? All of these are signs that something isn't right. Out-of-control emotions often reflect the out-of-control demands that we put on ourselves. Uh, and just before I forget, by the way, so Crazy Busy, I did read. It was yeah. a good book. You said it came out two or three years ago. 2013. Two, three, seven. Isn't that a sign of business? Oh, was I right about Kevin DeYoung? Oh, I didn't even look at that part. Yes. Okay, good. Kevin DeYoung, self-help book, Christian literature. That's the genre yep. that yep. Google gave it. Uh, all right, seven signs are too busy. Number one was an inability to control your emotions. Number two, a lack of self-care. If we already have a full plate of obligations and crazy commitments, the last thing most of us want to do is spend time planning healthy meals, mm. working out, or taking care of our physical health or appearance. That just sounds like more work. Taking care of yourself may seem selfish, but self-care is one of the most other-centered choices you can make in your life. That's good. Number three is illness. There was a season in my life when I simply could not get well. I lived with a cold, a sinus infection, a stomach bug, or the flu almost all the time. Yikes. I remember telling a doctor once, you have to help me. I'm sick of being sick. He said, Allie, is it possible you're stressed? Constant illness can be a sign of many things. And of course, you should see your doctor if you're struggling in this area. Hmm. But illness can also be your body's warning to you that you need to make changes in your life. And then she parenthetically says, see what I did putting the section after self-care, a lack of self-care often leads to ongoing illness. I told you self-care wasn't selfish. Oh boy. All right. Next is chronic lateness. I know I'm about to step on some toes here mine most of all, but I believe chronic lateness is caused by the tendency to say yes to too many activities and too many people. I feel attacked. Uh, it's <laughs> a crazy cycle of trying to be all things to all people and to do more than it's humanly possible. In the end, we can't get anywhere on time or accomplish 
accomplish everything we say we will and we and we end up disappointing everyone because the weight of it all is too much it's crucial to recognize that we all have limits when you're over your limits the right thing to do is to let someone who has the capacity step in and run with it you aren't letting anyone down you are stewarding your time and energy well Mm, that's good next one self-medicating and excess when the demands of life become too much self-medicating is a very common response to be honest Overeating sweets is a problem for me. Mm. It's something uh, I've struggled with throughout my life. I'm absolutely a work in progress in many areas. This is one of them. Self-medicating might also take the form of obsessive exercise, too many hours on social media, or watching a lot of television instead of getting much-needed sleep. Mm. Sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking self-medicating is actually self-care. I deserve that chocolate bar. But if we find that our habits are directly related to stressful situations in our lives and that they're not renewing or restoring us, then we need to recognize those choices as a warning sign of busyness. Hmm. We need to ask ourselves if escaping reality just seems like an easier choice than reducing our to-do list. Whether it is overindulging or a serious addiction, self-medicating is a serious warning sign. Left ignored, it can be disastrous in our lives. Man, this is a pretty good article. All right, so this is number six of seven signs you're way too busy neglecting important relationships. Do you feel as if you are habitually letting down the people closest to you, your husband, children, close friends, family, and colleagues? It's easy to feel guilty about these things, and once we start feeling just a twinge of guilt, it's all over. The onslaught of pressure and guilt we heap on ourselves outweighs any positive feedback anyone else gives us. And the last one, uh, neglecting God. A huge sign that I'm over capacity is when I start skipping church because I have too much to do and I don't pray because I need to dive straight into work. Yeah. Staying connected to God is what keeps me operating within my capacity and what helps me understand that God made me with limitations on purpose. Having a limited capacity is not a flaw in my character. It is by glorious design and for an incredible purpose to realize my need for him. Hmm. And the article ends, life doesn't have to be lived on the edge of burnout. It's crucial to start breaking busy before the busy starts breaking you. Mm. And breaking busy doesn't mean you have to do less, unless that is, in fact, what you need to do. (laughs) It means that you give your time and energy to the things that you are created to do, not the things you feel you should do out of obligation or expectation. That article is a tough one. <laughs> one of the things I used to say a lot more, probably because I'm convicted by it now, is uh, you need to take a break or eventually you'll break. Yes. Like just this idea that you are not created for a life you don't have time for. Yes. You know what I mean? If you feel like you're constantly running from thing to thing to thing, you have to really like hit pause and ask an existential question. Do I actually believe mm. that a loving father and creator designed for me to live at this pace all the time? That's not to say there aren't seasons where you got to hustle. Yes. Or this is a season where there's it's going to it's going to be a grind. And that I think is important to recognize that. Yeah. But I don't know. Do you have this where like you'll make excuses for seasons that end up lasting years? 100 percent. Like how long is this season? Ian, you've been saying that quote, this week was a crazy week for like the last 40 weeks. Yeah, like that, I, you know what I mean? I usually find, and I know there are seasons, but I usually find it to be a warning sign when I'm using even that term. Really? Oh, it's just a season of stress. <laughs> it's just a right. season. And because then you look back and you're like, what exactly is going to end that season? Yeah, right. Like, and if, if it always is, if it's always the only answer to ending it is vacation. Yeah. Or like right. uh, sabbatical. 
or and those are important things. Yeah. But if the only way for you to get out of those cycles of stress is removal, yeah, bad place to That's be. That's a good sign. It's a man. bad place to be. Which is hard because I think this is why things like Sabbath rhythms are mm-hmm. so important because, like you said, it's not a sabbatical and it's not like the unplugging heading you know to Cabo. It is. Hey, just built into the weekly rhythm yeah. is like me reminding myself, even the article last week we were talking about, you know, putting your phone in a cabinet when you walk in, like ha- building in some of these smaller infrastructures and patterns and habits that help give you margin, help yep. you, you know, have perspective, that kind of stuff is for some reason so much harder to implement than just, nope. We're going on vacation come May. May. Uh, you know what I mean? That's, yep. that's and I can look forward to that. And right. all this season's going to end when we get on that airplane. And then that's just a dangerous way to go. Yeah, that's a good point, man. Well, the uh, article's on our Facebook page, the Common Good Radio Show. We'd love to know what do you agree with, what do you disagree with, what would you add, what would you take away? How, how do you know that you're just doing too much, that you're way too busy? And maybe what are some resources that you've found helpful? We'd love for this to sort of be a, a community think tank of ideas to, you know, hopefully do this better. Well, you're listening to The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. How are you? My name's Ian Simpkins. What's yours? Brian. Brian Fromm. <laughs> Good to meet you. Good to see you. Do you typically say it like that, Brian? Brian Fromm? Because you try to go James of, Bond, Honestly, but because both of my names are short, I actually do find myself, not going Brian, Brian Fromm, but I do find myself if someone's like, hey, I mean, I'll, I'll frequently introduce myself. Oh, hey, I'm Brian Fromm. And I don't know why that is. I think it's because I have two mm. short names. There certainly are people. We talked about this in college a whole lot. There are certain people where, like, you just knew them as their whole name. Yeah. That's not That's not just Amy. That's Amy Iceberg, right? That's – Yeah. I, I don't mean, know like, there's – I think it's because my names are short. It might also be because until through college, I was more known by my last name than my first name. Yeah. So it might be a little bit of that, but I actually thought about that the other day. I'm like, I always introduce myself. Hey, like the, if a person introduces their first name, I'm te- typically will say both my names. I, I actually hardly ever, and it's interesting because if I remember like in a circle where everyone's all meeting each other for the yep. first time, I feel like the vast majority of people are giving their first and last name. Okay. And it always feels so formal to me. I'm always like, hey, I'm Ian. <laughs> I'm going to just try to say Brian today to people. To people? Yeah. Just How often are you somebody. introducing yourself to people? Does this happen a lot? I'm going to walk around Starbucks today. And just be Brian, hey, Brian. 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 Hey, Brian. 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 <laughs> Handing out cards. It reminds me of The Office. Oh, no. uh, what was his name? Uh, Bob Vance. Vance Refrigeration. <laughs> Every time he met anybody. <laughs> oh, see, I was hoping you would go a completely different direction. I want you to wear like uh, like an ascot and a captain's hat and uh, like walk around with like a, like a glass of port. And, okay. And then introduce yourself at Starbucks like that. I'm writing down notes right now. Could you please? Or Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. Yeah, you can do that too. That'd be funny. Probably also copywritten. Nah. Uh, Have I given the information yet? No. No. You have not. On Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. You can go there. You can go there right now if you want. Uh, 1160hope.com slash the common good. Also, wherever it is you get podcasts. And I know that I've referenced from this website uh, a couple of times, Becoming Minimalists. But there's some pretty good stuff there. And uh, an article called The Unappreciation of Rest. In today's society, this actually is a conversation you and I have often. Mm, yeah, I want to say ironically, almost hypocritically, <laughs> <laughs> talked about a number of times. No, we uh, tell people they need to rest, so it's not. Oh, so, it's, <laughs> so we tell people we're exempt from this. Yes. This does not apply to us. Um, but it is a conversation that I feel like the older I get, and the older my kids get, and the more I'm thinking about, you know, how I spend my time and and sometimes where like when I think about the command to love one another, you know, there's 
you don't even have to be a Jesus person to know that's pretty central to the tenets of Christianity. Yes, it is. I, I heard someone talking about um, it was just a practical way for me of like framing all of it. He goes, okay, if the invitation is to love, does anyone here love well if they're not well rested? Hmm. And I was like, why have I never thought about that? I'm I'm much more impatient and unkind and sarcastic when I'm not rested. So his whole point was, is it possible that rest is an integral part to what we call the great commandment, love mm. God and love, love others. Do, That's do, interesting. I've do, never heard that. Do any of us love what? Do you love well no. if you're sleep deprived? No. Nobody does. <laughs> I was like, I, can't, I like, couldn't believe that I had yeah. I'd never thought about that. I don't that. even like well. <laughs> I'm not even an average citizen. <laughs> yes. But you know what I mean? Like, I just thought that was an interesting take That's that really uh, interesting. it's not just like, hey, you should rest because, uh, you know – the Genesis stuff or because of <laughs> the, Genesis the Ten Commandments or Jesus gives yeah. you. He's like, no, no, if, if the whole point is to love well, none of us love well if we're not rested. And I thought, man, that's a really, uh, that was an interesting take for me that I'd never really hmm. heard before. So what's going on here in this this article from a guy that's, you know, not writing from a Christian perspective necessarily. Right. I appreciate the beginning because he talks about going on vacation. He said recently I went on vacation and it was desperately needed and he goes through the benefits, right? A healthier body, more balance, less stress, deeper relationships, right. better opportunity to evaluate life's decisions, a new fresh outlook, increased productivity, all the things that come as we uh, kind of unplug and go on vacation. But you and I talked about this, I think, two days ago. That literally, you can't go from vacation to vacation to vacation. You've got to get some rhythm in your life. And so he says, despite all the proven benefits of rest, intentionally setting aside regular time for rest is a practice that has become undervalued Uh and underappreciated in today's culture. We've become overworked, overstressed, and exhausted. Yet Sabbath, setting aside one day each week for rest, remains a dying practice that less and less people practice regularly, never mind the idea of actually taking a two-week vacation. Right. Overlooking the importance of rest is certainly not unique to our modern society, but our culture has made it increasingly difficult to take rest without specific intentionality. Consider some of the factors then prevalent in our modern society that argue against the idea of rest. So we'll go through those in a second, but he just says, like, listen, you could go on vacation, and that's important. That's like the pinnacle of rest, right? Total unplugging. Right. But Well, you, in theory. <laughs> good point. You got little kids. But you can't go from vacation to six months later, another vacation, and just run crazy. Those right. Like he's saying, and we've talked about this because the Bible talks about this, this regular rhythm of rest being so important but not being something that we do often or well for the most part in our culture. Yeah, let me just read some of these bullets because they're yep. really – they're actually pretty interesting. The, some of the factors that he's presenting as prevalent in our modern society that argue against the idea of rest. So the first one he has here is rest has become confused with laziness. We live in a society that praises those who work 60-plus hours a week and makes faulty assumptions about those who work 40. We have confused rest with laziness. And while too much rest may indeed be an indication of sloth, the regular practice of finding rest is not. He goes on and says the desire for money has also become unquenchable. Modern society loves money. We love it to a point that we will sacrifice much of ourselves to gain more of it. Some sacrifice morals, character, or family. Mm-hmm. Others consider rest a fair trade and will gladly sacrifice it at the altar of the almighty dollar. Mm-hmm. Next one says success is measured incorrectly. Similarly, we have begun to measure success by the amount of cash and savings, the size of our homes, or the model of our cars. The nicer one's lot in life, the more successful they must be. Unfortunately, this is a faulty measure of success. The true test of success should be measured in significance rather than success. 
but oftentimes finding significance requires us to rest long enough to recalibrate our lives around the things that matter most. Absolutely. This guy, I mean, this is nailing it. borderline preaching. Why don't you take the next one? Yeah, we live in a world that's always, quote, on. While electricity may have made it easier to work late into the night, the Internet has surrounded us with opportunities and relationships 24 hours a day. Today's world never stops. And when the possibility to make money every hour of the day is combined with the desire to do so, Hmm. rest quickly gets pushed aside. Can I parenthetically say my wife and I just had a conversation the other day where I told her I've begun like having feelings of anxiety every time my text message goes off. Uh And that that's real, man. And that you can't unless you get really drastic about it, your text message can go off at four in the afternoon. It could go off at nine at night. And if you're never, if you're always on, he goes on to say a false sense of urgency surrounds us at every moment. We live in a world that floods our mind with so much information that's become difficult to sort out what's important and what's not. As a result, the urgent needs of the day crowd out Hmm. the important. The next one, he says, our minds require distraction. Our minds have become addicted to stimulation and validation. As a result, Hmm. It has become increasingly difficult to turn off email, Facebook, or Twitter, not to mention cell phones, what I just talked about, <laughs> televisions, or the internet. I don't know. I feel this one. You can, why don't you finish it off? Yeah, he says, rest cannot be rushed. Modern society loves shortcuts. We desire 15-minute abs, 30-minute <laughs> meals, and one-hour photos. Unfortunately, rest can never be rushed. It must be entered deliberately and allowed to complete its cycle in due time. You talked about this even when the last time you went on a long vacation. How I think you were gone two weeks Mm-hmm. And you said the whole the whole first week was just sort of decompressing. That's absolutely. So you true. didn't even really like get into sixth gear of like actual rest until that second week, exactly. which a lot of people don't even give themselves that much time to do it. And then lastly, he says a misunderstanding that rest is purely physical. Rest is physical, but it's more than that. It's mental, emotional, and spiritual. It is an understanding that the world is going to survive without you. Gosh, mm. this guy's preaching. Mm-hmm. It's an inner strength that allows you to disconnect from accomplishing, quote, work and focus on yourself and those around you. And I would add God. It is not mm. mere physical leisure. It is rest, body, and soul. And I, so, again, we've both admitted we're not great at this. Not at all. So at the very least – uh, we're convicted by it. But, I'm good uh, at the vacation. I'm good at the. You are much better at that I'm than I am. I'm good at fully pulling the plug. It's these uh, regular rhythms of rest that I really struggle with. Yeah, same here, man. I totally understand. Well, if uh, if you're reading this or you're listening, we would love to hear your feedback. What are some of the ways that you found rest to be helpful, or maybe even tips or tricks for better regular rhythms of rest? This is all over on our Facebook page at the Common Good Radio Show. You're listening to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here, and I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible— but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. 
Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about Joe Biden. We're going to talk about sex robots, and we're going to talk a little bit coronavirus. This is The Common Good. Everyone, welcome back to the Common Good. Do you think anyone's going to stick around based on I just that said intro? To myself, there? We're talking about what? <laughs> oh well, I'm excited to have this conversation. I actually think it's an important one. But uh, yeah, stick around for that one. Sex <laughs> robots on the Common Good. It's not. Quite, well, that sounded bad. Yeah. Can I? We should really be talking about these things before we go live. <laughs> you want to? You want to workshop those things with me before we actually say them into microphones? Yeah, well, this is going to get tweeted out for sure. It'll be at sure. 520 if you want to stick around. Oh, yes. gosh. Well, is that the is, discussion will be. Right. Yes. yes. I'm trying. I'm trying here, Brian. I really yes. am. The mics um, are hot, so be careful what you yeah, say. Right? Geez, Louise. All right. So uh, we're going to talk about Joe Biden in just a second. Mm-hmm. But you just read something that kind of had you going, wow. What were you reading? I just read that due to the coronavirus, all March Madness, all NCAA tournament games nationwide are going to be played with no fans. And that was just, that's been in the conversation. That's been in the talks here. Right. But that that's happening is, is um, I almost said crazy. I don't mean crazy in, as in like a bad idea. I right. mean just crazy to actually read that. Right. Uh, and it just feels, man, like the coronavirus uh, response is needing to change. I almost said by the day, but now by the hour. Do you, feel, do you feel like the like the White Sox have just been preparing for this moment? No, I saw that. But somebody <laughs> put that on, on Facebook that they were way ahead of the game. <laughs> it's all it's all the long game preparation they've been working towards. But, they knew this day would come. No doubt. But you and I were talking before the show about how you know our churches are starting to send out emails and everyone's kind of talking about what's the next step. And uh-huh. it really does feel like before it felt like what's it going to be like next week. Now it kind of feels like what's it going to be like tomorrow. And yeah, right. It's really hard to parse like what's really wisdom and what's fear, but now it's all starting to feel more like wisdom. Like uh-huh. you see what's going on in Italy. This is kind of unprecedented for our lifetime and, and just a little bit crazy. Have you spooked at all? Not spooked. It does have me like, wow, I do feel like there's some decisions coming. I mean, we're supposed to go on spring break here in oh, a couple right, weeks, but right. then, you know, Easter's coming a month away. Right. Uh, but now even like this Sunday, like what are the changes we need to make? What's mm-hmm. going on? And, and you see these big things being done. Uh, so I, it doesn't spook me as in, like, am I going to get sick? It does, like, wow, where's this go? Where's this leading to? Where's this going to end? And uh, I'm certainly taking it much more seriously by the day. I'd say that. Yeah, I totally. I think a lot of people are, to be honest. You, yeah. Are you still finding people that are like, it's not that big a I mean, deal? Right. We find that every with everything. But yeah. you see Facebook. But I think I'm getting to the point of, like, yeah, I get it. It's not a big deal yet. But you look what's going on in Italy. Like, are there steps we should be taking now? And I think the answer is be careful who you listen to, right? Listen to the CDC. Listen to the health department. Listen to the common good. Listen to the common good as we listen to the CDC and the health department. <laughs> That's sort of like a virus version of follow me there as I follow go. Christ. Right? There you go. But just be smart and be wise and don't be like, you know, yeah, just – I don't. I don't think flippant is the right posture to be taking at the moment. Yeah, I think that's uh, that sounds like wisdom. And to me. fear's not either. But listen to the right people. I put it that way. <laughs> that's the problem, Brian. How do you know who the right people are? I. I. No one thinks they're actively listening to the wrong people. Everyone thinks they're listening to the right people. All right. If you're going to choose between the health department and a Facebook meme, probably go health. What department. if it's a Facebook meme? Set up by the health department. Yeah. I would still go to the health department's <laughs> website. Okay, that's fair. I would still go to their website. Oh, give they got them a, a website call. now? Good yes, give Good them a them. call, whatever you need to do. 
All right, I want to talk about Joe Biden a little bit. Yeah, he, he is a pretty big on night. a roll. He kind of is, uh, most notably my home state of Michigan, which Sanders won four years ago, right? And everyone a week ago expected him to win again. Kind of wild. He was really, and I think part of Sanders' struggle is that uh, young voter turnout has been like flat yeah. or down, Yep, which we could talk about that another time. That's, yeah. that's He kind won of the, what was it, the 19 to 28 or 18 to 29 yeah. in Michigan, 82% uh-huh. to like 19%. Wow, that's I mean, <laughs> crazy. Yep. That's okay. So we that uh, math didn't work, by the way. Yeah. But it right, was something right. like it. <laughs> I didn't want to say anything, but yeah. Uh, all right. So I have an article from NPR about some uh, some takeaways with regards to last night. But first, though, I want to share a little bit of a uh, speech that Biden gave that I would love your reactions yep. to. All those who have been knocked down, all those who have been counted out, left behind. This is your campaign. Just over a week ago, many of the pundits declared that uh, this candidacy was dead. Now we're very much alive. As I said from the beginning, this election is the one that has character on the ballot. The character of the candidates, the character of the nation is on the ballot. It's more than a comeback, in my view, our campaign. It's a comeback for the soul of this nation. This campaign is taking off, and I believe we're going to do well from this point on. Take nothing for granted. I want to earn every single vote in every single state. And I want to thank Bernie Sanders and his supporters for their tireless energy and their passion. We share a common goal, and together we'll defeat Donald Trump. And there's so much fear across the world. We need American leadership. We need presidential leadership. That's honest, trusted, truthful, and steady. Reassuring leadership. If I'm given the honor of becoming your president, I promise you, I'll strive to give the nation that very leadership. Every day, every day, I have a privilege to hold office. That's the reason why I'm running for president. I believe we're in an incredible moment in American history, a phenomenal opportunity to deliver a bold, progressive vision to the American people, guaranteeing that every American has health care, affordable health care, total health care, not a privilege, but a right. All right. What do you think? Yeah. The first thing that I noticed, I listened to his uh, speech, some of it last night, and his tone was very interesting. Yeah. And I think uh, as a public speaker, you know, you and I think about things like tone. It felt like the tone was correct. Hmm. Amidst this coronavirus fear, like if he had gotten up there and yeah, it felt tempered, right? It felt and I think that's measured. Why. I yeah. think it was measured because of what's going on around here. And you know, like you said, there's an NPR article about some of the takeaways and you know things like Biden's path to the nomination is really clear now. Places that he's probably going to do well are coming up. Um, but Bernie Sanders said he's not dropping out. He's still going to debate. Uh, they're going to have a one-on-one debate this week. Yep, and. Uh, you know, their third pointer, Biden needs Sanders supporters like yeah. uh, and that's what's going to be interesting because a lot of the Sanders people seem really upset right now. Uh-huh. And uh, and I watched somebody else. I don't know what channel I was watching, but they were discussing how the coronavirus, you don't like to politicize it. But in some ways, it's played to Biden's strength hmm. that people no longer want a revolution. They want somebody that they can like that. Not that they don't trust Bernie Sanders, but they're like, OK, I get Biden. He's going to be like a president, you know, he's going to show leadership. Yeah, right. But some of the fears about the coronavirus has taken 
some people towards him, which I found interesting. Everything kind of plays into the political thing. But back to his speech, I think he was measured. I think he he I think he did a good job. I, it is amazing just to see the way this has turned in like a week. It yeah. really is amazing. And it I, I know that it's like that every time. But maybe I just this one feels bigger. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. The the whole drama of it all feels bigger. Like it's amazing to me. And again, you know, with the rise of social media and all that, that we just have a lot more access to these things, and everyone has a platform to share their opinions. So maybe that's yeah. probably contributing. The phrase that kind of stood out to me when he's talking about this, the soul of our country. Mm-hmm. There was something about those words and the way he said it. And I I'm I know that our audience is going to be completely divided on Biden or Sanders or right, Trump or right, anything right, in between. Right. Um, there was something kind of, uh, what's the word, presidential about mm. about that sentiment, though. And I think you're right. I think that there, we we certainly and we what the country wants ebbs and flows. And right. we, I mean, based on what is currently happening right now, I think you're right. I think something there's a stability that people. Yeah, want. right. Yeah. And I, it's interesting because I don't I don't think Biden has looked great in a lot of these debates. And know. something about that speech in particular felt like, oh, okay, that that felt different to me. And what's crazy is, I mean, we are when we talk about how fast it's changed. Uh, less than two weeks ago with South Carolina, right. where people said if he were to lose South Carolina, he's got to drop out. Like yeah. we were that close to him being out. Right. Buttigieg, he wins South Carolina. Buttigieg gets out. Klobuchar gets out. Right. Elizabeth Warren gets out after Super Tuesday. They all coalesce behind him, and now all of a sudden he's like the clear path to the win. Isn't that wild? It, it really, it really is wild, and I think we are set up for a uh, Joe Biden Donald Trump face off uh, coming for the months ahead of us. You're not a political scientist, but if uh, if it came down to those two, what's your what's your prediction? Do you have one? Uh, I thought Donald Trump had no way that he could win in 2016, so I'm not sure I would vote again. I'm not sure that I would bet against him. Sure, I'm not sure. My head tells me, well, Biden, he people can trust him on both sides. He's more centrist. Like it makes more sense to me. Yeah. Uh, but I thought there was zero chance Trump would win in 16, so yeah. I'm not sure I'd bet against him. See, I think it. I think it really does. I think Biden really needs the uh, like emphatic support of Sanders supporters uh, for sure to be a viable option. If they I stay. Think. If they stay home, he's in trouble. He, right. That's exactly. That's Look what, at us that's being political pundits. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> most of this is just guesswork for me. I was like, no, I don't no. know. Maybe this is important. Maybe I'm like a lot of it's just me reading this no, NPR no. article trying to sound smart. All right. Well, I mentioned it earlier. Coming up next, probably a common good first. Uh, not probably. Definitely. Definitely. We're going to talk about sex robots, sex in a technological age. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everyone, welcome back to the Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. If you've been looking for us unsuccessfully, we're here. I'm here to help you out. I'm here to guide you. Uh, you can go on to the Facebooks at. Didn't you used to say www.facebook.com? Yes. <laughs> yes. We've grown here on the Common Good. <laughs> I don't. In your defense, I don't think you ever gave the www. Oh, you might have. I did. I think when we first started this, I think I did. Okay, boomer. <laughs> oh man, I want to find one of those old intros. www.facebook.com slash the common good radio show. Uh, also, 1160hope.com slash the common good or wherever it is you get your podcast. If you are a podcaster, <laughs> we still have a show. You can go to http colon slash slash podcast.com or just yell, Where are my podcasts into the void? Or Alexa, maybe. We don't know. We don't know. My Alexa wasn't working so well with it. But. <laughs> We've moved the, what did you say? Moved the ball down the field. I moved the ball down the field, but have not, <laughs> have not yet scored that touchdown. All right. So uh, 
full disclosure. Not an article you'd expect on the Gospel Coalition. And also maybe a disclaimer. It's uh, The headline is Fake Sex in a Technological Age. And here's the author's note at the very top. He says, the topic and examples in this section are sexually explicit. I leave certain details vague and ask that you not search for these things online. So if the author thought it worthy to give that disclaimer, we thought it was appropriate as well. I don't know that we've ever really even delved into this topic before. Have we done anything even close to this? We are feeling comfortable with with our show right now. (laughs) We feel secure. We're about to find out if it's ever a good idea for us to delve into this topic. It is interesting that it's at the Gospel Coalition. Yes. Uh, Because you may not know the Gospel Coalition out there, but very um, theologically conservative, reformed, uh, reformed. and so that they're diving into this makes you go, wow, okay. Uh Uh, Because this is, for some of uh, us out there, uh, to be honest with you, as I read this article, I was like, "Really? This yeah. is like a this is like a thing that's yeah. kind of coming our way. Like, is already here, but is only going to be like a, well, a much bigger deal." And that's why I want to do it yeah. exactly for that reaction. You're reading it, saying, "Oh, totally." Wait, really? So I imagine if you're feeling that way, yep, our listeners will be feeling the same way. Like, yeah, and oh, in some I didn't ways, a thing. in some ways, it's the same conversation that you have around pornography. Mm-hmm. Because this is kind of like the next wave in pornography, right? right? It is – and so you might be like, well, what are they talking about? It's essentially this, that there is a a, a uh, growing market mm-hmm. uh, for fake sex robots of yeah. basically robots uh, that, that allow you uh, to have sex with them. And mm-hmm. you're going – that is some of the most depraved thing I've ever heard. Uh, but th- in this article – you start to learn about some of the makers of this and some of the thought processes behind it. And here's a, here's a line that just stuck out to me uh, from uh, an interview with Katie Couric on CBS News. One of the first owners uh, of this particular sex doll said he'd been married for 15 years but was now divorced. And he said he was excited about his new sex robot because, quote, he believed it would give him the sense of connection without all the hard work of human relationship. And the author goes on to say uh, that before you judge him, think about your own life. Mm. We each seek to fulfill desires in ways that are outside of God's design for humanity. From happiness to sexual fulfillment, we pursue sinful pathways to meet our desires. We all long for intimacy and connection with another because God created us as relational beings. And so, uh, you know, my first thought is, wow, I did not know this was a thing. And secondly, it's like, okay, What's behind this? What mm. is the draw of this? And I think this article really paints, uh, uh, does a good job filling in that question. Well, and the author says this too. He says, having a relationship with a machine isn't really that foreign of an idea in our society. Most of us are already obsessed with and nearly always attached to smart devices such as phones, tablets, and computers. Mm. We barely put them down, and this is causing problems for how we relate with one another, even in marriage. What I thought was interesting, uh, he says, in the 2016 announcement of this AI-empowered sex robot, Headlines across the world included sex robots could save your relationship and sex robots, the future of sex. Mm. And he goes on to explain some of the specifics. You can customize voice, even accent. It is this very peculiar, but also, and you had mentioned this, like really kind of surprising you. In a lot of ways, it it really breaks my heart. I had mentioned mm-hmm. off air that I had seen another video of a guy that you know constructs these himself, and it talked about how for him he's probably intimate with the robots more often than he is his wife. The guy that they were interviewing is still married, and we're thinking, what in the world does that relationship look like? But then I think of, did you ever see the movie Her with Joaquin Phoenix? 
It's kind of the same uh, concept, only there wasn't a physical body. Is this it was the one where he falls in love with like Alexa, essentially. Yeah, I essentially. Remember, I remember the the premise around. It. I never saw it, and it was really heartbreaking. And it it kind of got you into the mindset a little bit of Joaquin's character, though. So it so it isn't just this like, oh, weird. Why would yep. you do that? Like it yep. it enters into the loneliness and the lack of connection and the need for companionship. And it was it's a I mean it's a weird movie. Let yep. me just let me just yep. say that. But it's certainly pulled back the veil a little bit and like, hey, we we are lonelier and more disconnected than a lot of us realize. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it feels like this AI technology is sort of capitalizing on that loneliness. It really is. He goes on to say, many people today, some who you're really close to and maybe even you, hmm. indulge in fake robotic sex in which the goal is one person's pleasure at the expense of true community, relationship, and spiritual life. Hmm. And then he goes on to say, I'm talking about pornography. Right. And, and pornography is an issue where that, you know, with the internet, with the... Uh, that is so pervasive. Um, I mean, billions upon billions upon billions of dollars in that industry that you're like, you're, it's almost become like, you know, normal. Yeah. And right. and that when when you read articles like this, you're like, this is so outside the norm. And you're like, well, so is pornography. It's getting at the same thing. One mm. might feel more drastic than the other, mm. but it's the same thing. It's the same goal. Um, and and. Man, if if you and I, uh, you know, if we could share stories, uh, if I had a nickel for every relationship uh, or guy that I talked to, and it's not just men, but it's it's primarily men, in which pornography was just tearing them apart, tearing that relationship apart, uh, unfortunately, I'd be a rich man because mm. it is it is something that not just is at the heart of our of our culture, but is really something. That's in kind of the dark corners of our church cultures as well. Why do you think it's still in the dark corners of our church culture? Shame. If, if, yeah, but go deeper than that though. Like, why do you think if it is as pervasive an issue as everyone tells us it is, and we talk about there being no condemnation in Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and we're regularly preaching and singing about there not being any shame, why, why do you think this issue in particular still remains uh, so predominantly in the shadows? <sighs> Hmm. I think there is a feeling of, uh, I think shame. What I first said is like, if this ever comes to light, I'm going to feel so guilty and so shameful. But I also think as with a lot of sins, it's one thing to say it's pervasive. It's another thing to go, no, I think I'm the only one dealing with this in my church or in my small Hmm. group or in my whatever. And there's, you know, that's a really hard first step to take and to admit that to somebody. You can look at pornography in the shadows. You can look at pornography and nobody else even know. Um, and so I think it's easier just to keep it there. So I don't know. What you, how would you answer that question? Yeah, I, I think maybe we haven't done a good enough job of really unpacking what it means to be free from shame and guilt. Mm, I think it, it remains sort of often in this ethereal sort of nebulous space or we only speak of it. Uh, as some sort of transaction that gains us entrance into heaven. You know what I mean? I think when Mm -hmm. we talk about the cross, we talk about forgiveness of sins so often, and I I know that this isn't all churches at all, but so often it's sort of couched in this eternal life conversation, which is obviously an enormous part of it. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we necessarily do a great job of talking about the freedom that it provides here and now. Mm -hmm. Like what, Mm -hmm. what is the blood of Jesus? What is the empty tomb? What does the resurrection mean? Right here. What what does it mean to say when we, if we confess our sins, which means speaking, right? Yeah. It's not yeah. just like feeling thoughts in our heads or in our hearts to actually share those things. Where there's a healing that takes place, Absolutely. there's a righteousness that's imparted. Uh, I, I often wonder if sometimes we just don't necessarily know how to have those conversations. I think you're right. I think it's important for the church to uh, 
to, to deal with those things because, like you said, there are, there are a lot of people in our churches that are struggling. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's not go. You know, the issue of pornography and uh, is not going to get. Uh, it's not going away, and, and these, that's why this article is so kind of eye opening because this whole concept of virtual reality and sex robots uh, providing a more lifelike form of this fantasy world. He goes on to say. Uh, sex robots are the logical next step for people looking for the next best thing in interactive and virtual sex. Mm. Like it's your next logical step in pornography. And so if you're disgusted by it, uh, I'd say, A, that's a good thing. But B, you know, think about the roots of this. What is right. this growing out of? And it's right. already a problem that, like you said, is pervasive. And I like how you spoke gospel to it because uh, we really do need to start attacking it as churches. Yeah, and not even just attacking it. Like, don't just let it disgust you. Like, let it break your heart. Yeah, absolutely. you know, because behind all this is a longing for connection, for intimacy. Mm. And I think we see over and over again that as people apart from Jesus, we struggle to do that. So the article is on our Facebook page. We would love to know what you think. This one might get some comments. Yes, I imagine that it probably already has, but uh, we would love to know uh, maybe how you interacted with this idea or suggestions or maybe even ways forward for the church. Well, coming up next, this headline simply reads, Whatever Happened to Worship? We're going to talk about that coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on the Facebooks, the Facebooks, there. the Twitters, My the Instagrams. We don't said. have Yeah, we don't have an Instagram yet. Oh, that needs to change. I was feeling convicted. I feel like the more, the hipper the guest, when I ask, hey, do you have a website? And they're like, uh, no, I have an Instagram. I'm like, man, we got to get on that. So I tried with my kids the other day. No, yeah. It did not go well. Do you remember, was it after your friend Jesse Oxford, right? What yeah. was his name? He was here the other day. And he kept saying Insta. Yeah, yeah. And like, that's, you know, that's like the the total, like, cool way of saying it. And so I tried saying Insta to my kids, and they kind of looked at me like— They were not having it. Well, no. <laughs> it, it was an eye roll. It well, an eye I do roll. appreciate, though, that you then bleached your tips, though. That was a good, <laughs> that was a, that was a good approach to getting hip with the kids. Do you remember—I've seen a lot of memes, and maybe this is showing how narrow like my universe is, but it's the— um, the, er, the late 90s Youth Pastor Starter Kit, <laughs> and it's like bleach tips. It's those glasses with the like yellow tint. It's the ball chain necklace. Yes. It's a POD hoodie. I was never had any of these. No? no. <laughs> You're like a little too old for it then. Is that what it is? Yeah. You yeah. just missed it? But then when I started when, when I started Four Corners, you know, a lot of those youth pastors had turned into church planters. And so that became the running joke of like at Exponential, say in 2010, of right. the skinny jeans and the beard <laughs> and the this and the that. It was like the, the aging youth pastor who was now starting a church. You know what was funny? I didn't bring this up at all. So last week, was it last week when I was gone at seminary? Uh, two weeks ago. Well, into the beginning of last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So so this is a cohort that I'm not usually with because I had to move around some classes with the birth of my son and all that stuff. So it was a group of people I'd never met before. And uh, one of the women was like, let me guess, worship pastor? No I like, way. Well, I was like, why would you say that? She's like, you just radiate worship pastor. I was like, what? <laughs> She's like, fedora, cardigan, cuff jeans. Look at those cuffs. I was like, oh, no. But that's gutsy. Like, I don't know you, but I'm going. <laughs> oh, no, it was totally friendly. It okay. just was – it felt kind of – it was like a compliment. I was like, oh, man, I don't, I don't it realize It was like that. a compliment. Yeah, I feel like the worship pastors are on, like, the cutting edge of cool. Yeah, like, let's just say that, you know, the whole, like, uh, 
MO of wearing skinny jeans. Like, more power to you if you can wear them. I just was, <laughs> I just never had that in my repertoire. Like, no one was ever like, you know what you need more of? Skinny jeans. <laughs> I don't think that's ever how that conversation begins. I'm just waiting for it all to come around to just being like the cool pastor just wears hoodies all the time. <laughs> well, that actually worked out pretty well to segue this article. Yes. What happened to worship? So here's how the article begins. Uh, whatever happened to worship? A.W. Tozer asked this question as a part of a sermon series that was turned into a book after his death. Did you ever read that book, by the way? I did not. It's phenomenal. There's some stuff that authors that, you know, I think Tozer is one of them who, like, some of the stuff he wrote could have been written yesterday. Interesting. Like, it just has that sort of evergreen, timeless. So anyway, the, the book's really good. This question has stuck with me for some time, and I've tried to understand worship in the context of the New Testament church. Is it ever changing or has it fallen away? This has led me to ask the following questions. What exactly is worship? How is worship done? Why do people worship? Does worship play any role in our spiritual formation? Sometimes I wonder, why wouldn't God just give us clear-cut instructions? I wonder that all the about time. a lot of church. Work. <laughs> yeah. Surely if we were given step-by-step instructions on worship, we couldn't mess that up, and there wouldn't be the need for any debate regarding these practices. Then I remember the examples of the Israelites and how even with rigid rules, they mm. seem to miss the heart of God uh, the, the heart of what God was communicating. So perhaps worship is not something that fits into a perfect mold or style, but something more. So what is worship? Louis Giglio says it this way, worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he's done, expressed by the things we say and the way we live. Mm, that's good. I think that's a really good that's definition. Really good. Worship is a response. I remember driving one night in the middle of nowhere, Texas, where there was... No ambient light from nearby cities to muddy the night sky and the brilliance of every single star pierce the darkness in the way that causes you to hold your breath. I had never witnessed anything like that before. Immediately, my mind was taken to the greatness of God and how he created something so magnificent. Theologians call this natural revelation. Things that are created attest to the existence and the greatness and glory of God. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. How I responded in that moment wasn't as important as the fact that I did respond. So I'll pause there. Do, yeah. you, do you resonate with that definition? Totally. Is worship as a response? And totally. It's something that doesn't just simply happen in a, in a room yeah, I literally on preached a sermon this past Sunday about living lifestyles of worship. Oh, really? What does that look like? Nice. And I really tried to pound home that, that worship is a resp- not just a lifestyle. So it's every – you know, it's – all aspects, not just singing, but tried right. to pound home. I wish I had found this Giglio uh, quote last week, <laughs> but uh, pound tried to pound home the fact of worship as a response. So I really do resonate with this. And I, I think, too, the other thing that has always stuck out with me, there's a guy named Harold Best, and mm-hmm. he writes about um, the notion, the question isn't whether or not I will worship, it's what will I worship. Yeah, yeah. Like everyone is worshiping something yes. or Ke- someone. Yeah. And what I appreciate about him, there's another professor, Wheaton, his name escapes me, but he said, we become what we behold mm. and we reflect what we revere. So That's that good. thing, whatever it is, it could be yeah. God, it could be a marriage, it could be a job, yeah. it could be a house, it could be a status. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we hold in reverence, what we behold, that that is the object I of I think uh, Keller's book on idols oh, is, it's so is unbelievable. What is it called? Counterfeit, counterfeit gods. gods. Yes. Like, and that whole thing is essentially about, while it's about idols, it's essentially about worship. Yeah. It's, 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 you worship something. And uh, Keller, in all of his Kellerness, uh, <laughs> it's a short book. I'd, I'd encourage it's you to a pick good up book, counterfoot, go, counterfeit Gods. By Man, him. We're, getting, we're getting some Keller references this week. Time to get him on the show. So uh, the next question he addresses is, how is worship done? If the what of worship is our response to God, then the how of worship is our expression. Again, instructions on how these expressions should be practiced would be welcomed, but in their absence, we must interpret what is given in Scripture. 
I'm always taken back to Job. In a matter of moments, everything came crashing down on him, literally killing his children and taking all his possessions. Job responded by tearing his robe, shaving his head, and falling on the ground to worship. He humbled himself. He lifted God up, and he did not sin. What a powerful statement. Through all the difficulties that Job experienced, he expressed himself to God and worshiped. So how should we express ourselves during worship? Are there song styles or mannerisms that are more biblical than others? While some postures of worship are mentioned in the Bible, none are given any priority over the other. Worship comes in song, obedience and care for one another. If strict adherence to a posture or performance of worship mattered to God, he would have made that clear through Scripture. He, uh, this doesn't mean the how of worship isn't important. Kevin Van Hooser says, does it really matter how we worship? Yes, it does, because ultimately it is not simply a question of how, but also of what. Questions of style are not unrelated to questions of substance. This, I submit, is the point of Jesus' teaching on worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. Mm. What do you think of that? I think this is good. I'm, I'm gonna, I, I keep forgetting that I need to talk about it. Like As you're reading it, I'm like, this is good. Like, I'm just listening to you. <laughs> I can like, see you nodding. Like, I'm this just is... like, this is really good. Like yeah, That also, because he does say there's different ways to worship. Yeah, right. But it doesn't mean how we worship isn't important. Right. And, it's uh, not a free-for-all. Exactly. And I think the hardest part for people to listen, quite frankly, and I tried to make this point to our church the other day, is uh, we just link worship with singing one. And I think when we just equate worship with singing, I think we lose the picture of this kind of lifestyle of worship. Yeah, I think that's well said, man. I, I want to just read the last two questions he addresses real quick. He, uh, he tackles why do people worship and does worship play a role in our spiritual formation? So the first, why do people worship? We talked about it a little earlier. Uh, it is innate within us. Our nature has rendered us unable to fully understand the complexities of the universe and mysteries of God. So in moments where we find ourselves incapable, we worship. To worship God is to acknowledge our relation to God and to fully submit our lives, our circumstances, our hopes and desires to him. And I love what he says here at the end. Does worship play a role in our spiritual formation? Yes. When we worship God, we humble ourselves completely before him. Humility is the first step in recognizing God for who he is and what he has done. Humbling ourselves is the first action that puts us in rightful place to recognize the work that God is capable of doing in us and our need for what he can give. So um, Romans 11.33 says it this way, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable uh, are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who even Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So what happened to worship? Well, it never left. Worship may have changed stylistically over generations, but worship that is done both in spirit and truth resides in the hearts of men and women who are humbled before God. I feel like it's really good. the humility piece is the thing that he really kind of anchors, and I, I think that's so important mm. and maybe not talked about enough. Yeah, I totally agree, and I feel like you know, I, I talked, like I said, I talked about this in church the other day, and I talked about how what worship is, this lifestyle of worship has to do with everything in our lives falling under the lordship of Jesus, like right. not this segmented life. And that's where we get in trouble when it's just about singing or just about Sunday morning worship service. Those are vitally important, right? Uh, but it grows from that. So I think this article is really helpful. We'd really encourage you to read it. Absolutely. Coming up next, we're going to land the plane the way we always do. A little right turn here from talking about worship to interweb insanity, <laughs> stories that we have not read, sound effects we have not heard. And that's what's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began, because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. All right, at this point, you should know that music means only one thing. It's about to go crazy. It's about to get wild here. Yes. As as wild as Christian talk radio (laughs) gets. I'm sure someone How wild is that? Yeah, right. (laughs) Although we did talk about sex robots earlier in the show, so that's about as wild as it's gotten on this show in a while, right? Yep. Absolutely. Man, Alexa's probably going to flag that for you now, uh, isn't no. it? Oh, Why'd Alexa flag it? <laughs> yes. it's, it's why Alexa fla- Alexa looked into the future yes. <laughs> and saw that we were tackling sensitive material. Uh, before we do that, though, I want to talk to you about Thrivent a little bit. Thrivent Financial, it's a Fortune 500 non-for-profit, and they've been serving people for over 100 years, which is crazy to me. And if you're listening and you've ever wanted to be your own boss or you work in the financial sector or you feel like you have an entrepreneurial drive... Um, I really want to encourage you to consider uh, joining the Thriving team. And um, it's something that I think is really important because it's something that we talk about on the show a lot. A lot of people struggle with their finances. But one of the things I love about Thriving is it's not just about like money management. It's about being wise with money, but also living generously. And that, for me, was the big difference between them and any other financial institution. Because typically when I would meet with someone else and I'd talk about my desire for generosity. Mm-hmm. They would kind of look at me weird, like, wait a minute, why would you <laughs> you have no money, money. away? <laughs> yeah, right. So that being like a goal for me, they're like, yeah, I want to also, it's not just about being wise with money. I also, I also want to live generously. So I would encourage you, you can visit thriving.com slash careers. That's thriving.com slash careers. Or you can call 630-598-2128 and just tell them that Ian from The Common Good sent you. Yes. So here's a big right turn out of Washington State. <laughs> Boy. Murder trial begins for man accused of poisoning wife's ice cream. Oh, gosh. The murder trial trial of a Cheney man accused of poisoning his wife's ice cream is set to begin Monday morning. KHQ reports detectives believe David Pettis murdered his wife of 30-plus years because he was infatuated with another woman. Uh, Documents state Peggy Pettis died after her ice cream was laced with a fatal dose of pain medication. Detectives also state Pettis was aggressive in collecting her life insurance. Always life insurance. Always <laughs> life insurance. But he told KHQ he was just trying to pay for her funeral arrangements. They're a fantastic couple. I love them. Yes. That was a pretty good use of that one. Yep. Oh, Ireland. Maybe our first one out of Ireland. Sheep crashes through window into credit union office. Mm. How does that even? Police in Northern Ireland released a video of sheep conducting a ram raid on a credit union by crashing through a large window. The police serving Northern Ireland office in Cookstown released security camera footage from the Ard... Oh, what's that? 
Ardbo Credit Union, where a man, a man, a ram crashed through a window Sunday and wandered into the office. That's maybe the most impressive part. They wandered after that. The footage shows a person entering the building shortly after the sheep, causing it to headbutt another window without successfully breaking through. The sheep eventually finds its way out of the office through the same window it used for its entrance. Yeah, right to the point. Yeah, (laughs) right to the point. Next one's out of Ohio. Car thief outed himself by using own Foot Locker Rewards account with stolen credit card. Okay. Boone County deputies on Thursday (laughs) arrested a trio of men accused of stealing six cars, robbing others and using the money inside to go shopping at the Tri-County Mall. Deputies said one suspect, 18-year-old Jermaine Brown, tied himself to the crime by using a victim's credit card at Foot Locker, but linking the purchase to his own Foot Locker (laughs) Rewards account. Brown, 21-year-old Paul Allen, and 19-year-old Matthew Rivera Fernandez each face multiple felony theft charges. Brown, who also used two victims' checkbooks to write himself checks for a total of $1,500, has been charged with two counts of forgery. That was real stupid. How sweet are those reward points that you're like, this is worth I mean, me linking it? I'm just amazed that someone still has footlocker. Uh, reward points. Now we have a problem here coming up. Yeah, we got a repeat. John did them yesterday. Keith doing them today. They have not talked. Apparently, yeah, they no chose one's, the no same one's screening story. these. I, uh, I'll just read the headline again. So Why don't you read the whole thing again, and we'll just get. Well, let's see what different. Uh, let's see if they even come up with the same clip. I, oh, all right. Just pretend like it's normal. Yeah. All right. This one's out of Michigan. America's high five. Ancient sword of the meth king seized by Michigan police. A fearsome looking weapon dubbed the Ancient Sword of the Meth King by Michigan Police Department is now in police evidence. The Bath Township Police Department posted a Facebook photo this week of a cachet of weapons, including the insane-looking sword, and noted jokingly, while you were sleeping. What? Authority is not given to you to deny the return of the king. There you go. That wasn't really, I wasn't ready yet. But. <laughs> I was more just pausing to read, but. <laughs> this is where yesterday we made the joke about uh, Lord of the Wings. Would you go oh, eat at Lord yeah. of the Wings? I most certainly would, but I'd have to be dressed in some kind of cosplay, I think. <laughs> cosplay is always a weird word for me. I think I've only learned it within the last year. It was a cosplay? Oh, boy. But I got it now. I got what it means. Just go to www.facebook.com. <laughs> slash cosplay. Ask the Google. Family accidentally, Australia, family accidentally orders 12 years worth of toilet paper. 12 years worth. Yeah, I don't mean to, I don't mean to sell out our producers. We did this one yesterday as yeah, well. sure did. Uh, but we'll do it again. There's nothing worse than not having enough toilet paper that you, uh, when you need some. But it's always a good idea to have extra rolls to- uh, stored up. Uh, oh, wait, no, we did not do this one. I was thinking about the one with the, uh, with the uh, newspaper. Oh, yeah. This might be overkill. A family in Australia is sitting on a mountain of toilet paper after making a mistake while ordering online. Fortunately for them, this error may have occurred at a very fortunate time. Australia is currently having a shortage of the bathroom necessity, likely due to Australians stockpiling everyday items after hearing about reports of the coronavirus. Uh, So Heidi Jansky meant to order 48 rolls of toilet paper, but instead ordered 48 boxes. Now she and her family are the proud owners of 2,304 rolls of toilet paper. Oh, my God. There's nothing wrong with the bidet, is there? Oh, gosh. (laughs) See, I feel bad. You said we already did this one, and I wasn't really thinking. I was like, yeah, totally. In my head, I was like, oh, shoot, I don't remember doing this one at all. No, it was the one because it was still Australia. So it was Uh, where they started uh, printing the extra pages in the newspaper. (laughs) Well, it's never a dull moment. Uh, Hopefully you had half as much fun as we did. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow. 
from 4 to 6 p.m. or wherever it is you get fine podcasts. My name is Ian, along with Brian Fromm. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you like it.